The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. Trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray kind of tired i hope i can make it through the show with some level of energy uh i got to bed late last night now late means very different things to me now than it did when i was 28 when i was 28 actually no when i was 26 i used to play the organ in supper clubs i didn't start till nine usually played till one sometimes two on the weekends no big deal. Went out, had breakfast, came trundling in about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. So what? Got up at 9, started another day. Well, now, late is 9 o'clock. Late, uh, 60, may do, 60 may be the new 40, but uh, 90 is the, or 9 is the new midnight. Well, I'm tired. I got in late last night, about 9.30. Didn't want to. I didn't want to go out at all. But I cleaned up, and I had a good hair day. It uh, doesn't happen that often anymore. Fewer and farther between, but I had a good hair day. So I had to go out. I I mean, when your hair looks like that, you can't just stay home. What did I do? Uh, Well, I got gas from the car, and I I probably drove through a car wash. And uh, living life on the edge, living large. Uh, I think I went and uh, got a Slurpee. So I got in, got uh, got tired. So hopefully I can uh, make it through. This is Look Back Friday, a version, a variant of The Doctor Is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production, EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Ave Maria Radio Communications. Look Back Friday is a concept we developed as Andrew Kruchek, my producer man, and editor for these calls, told me, I thought we had been doing Look Back Friday for two or three years. That's not correct, is it, Andrew? Or did you already leave the studio since he knows I'm going to ramble? You don't remember? And I, I think you once corrected me and said it's been five or six years. That's, that's possible. I'm looking at the uh, pages of all the past lookbacks, and there's just several pages of them. So could have been could have been several years. What we do is we, we choose... A call for various reasons. One, perhaps there were words used in the call that need to be defined, and I didn't do a good job of defining them, or I didn't define them at all. There are tangential issues brought up within the call that I could comment on, but obviously other people waiting on the lines. So you can't just go off in every direction with the call, and I put them aside to go off in that direction on Look Back Friday. Sometimes 
I just wasn't satisfied with my original thoughts on this, and I wanted to add to them or maybe massage them in a better direction. So there are various reasons there for these look-back calls. And hopefully they'll show up here as we take a few. I used to listen to uh, Christian radio while I was outside of the Catholic Church. Christian radio stations uh, dwarfed the number of Catholic radio stations. I think that the Christian radio station right now, I think, is the second most common genre on AM radio. Um, at the time, they had something like 1,500 stations, 1,500 Christian radio stations. They were, they were quicker to the media world than we were as Catholics. And when I started this particular program, we had, I don't know, 10, 20 stations maybe. Now it's 400 and some, as well as all kinds of options to listen through apps, streaming, computers, just all over the place. Sirius, Channel 130, EWTN Channel. And I recall one of the fellows I used to listen to making this observation. For years he said that the most common scripture verse that he heard from people was... John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He said in his experience that is no longer the number one most oft-quoted verse. It was, do not judge lest ye be judged. That was not a surprise to me as I saw our culture rapidly moving toward whatever I do is right because I do it. But there was a byproduct of that, which is for those who still adhere to God-given moral ways to live your life, which is interesting because the research is overwhelming that to the degree you diverge from those ways of living your life, you will bring all kinds of problems upon yourself, including a shorter life. And those people who adhere to traditional moral values are the ones who, who are accused of judging. You're judging. Don't judge me. Now, this typically happens, and I think this can be explained by the innate wiring in us. You could call it part of sin nature. The protection of the self. In other words, don't you dare comment upon the way I'm believing or living. Who gives you the right? Now, when our Lord said, don't judge lest you be judged, he meant, clearly, don't judge the state of a person's soul. That's God's judgment. You can't, you can't know whether somebody's gone to heaven, hell, or purgatory. You can't know that. That's what he meant. Obviously, if he meant don't judge behavior, then so many other things he said throughout Scripture would be counter to that. Well, we've broadened that out we we've used it in the service of the self don't judge 
I'm going to I'm going to quote your own scripture and I'm going to throw it back at you because you are judging me. Don't judge me. If I want to leave my wife and kids, who are you to judge me? Mm -hmm. Now, many people among their relatives and their friends realize that to keep any kind of peace, you can't say anything. You can't comment on their conduct because if you have, you've already had it thrown back at you with some version of don't judge. Who are you to judge? So you realize you better shut your mouth. Why then do you still get accused of being judgmental? Ever think about that? People have talked to me. They've called this program. And they've said, I don't say anything. I know better than to say anything. It is met with immediate hostility. I haven't said anything for years. Why do I still get accused of being judgmental? There's a simple answer to that. Because I know how you think. You're not allowed to think the way you do. That's judgmental. Even if you don't say it, you believe it. So therefore, by your very thinking, by your very beliefs, you're judging me. I had a relative say to me, she was, she was a young girl, she was probably 20, 21. You and, and she mentioned my wife's name, are among the most judgmental people I know. And I said, how is that? Because we never, we never said a word about the way this young lady was living her life. Never said a word. How's that? I said. Well, I know how you look at it. Okay. Am I allowed to look at it that way? Well, you can look at it any way you want, but don't put me down for it. When did I put you down? Well, you put me down because, because you disagree with the way I do it. Am I not allowed to disagree? I mean, I got nowhere, okay? What was clear was she said, you're not allowed to think the way you think because if you think that way, automatically you're putting me down and you're judging me. And that is prevalent now in our culture. I think the whole phenomenon of hate speech is related to that. Hate speech is now become any expression of a traditional moral view that goes against the culture's reigning ideology that they are convinced they they don't propose they force that you have to think a certain way, and if you don't, you're hateful. Hateful can be intertwined with judgmental. Can it not? So, if you get accused of being judgmental, don't frustrate yourself because it's going to come with the turf now. You're not allowed to think a certain way. And that in and of itself is enough. 
of being judgmental. Dr. Ray. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. (laughs) EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Rager. Any program doctor is in version, variant, look back Friday. Let's see. We got an anonymous male calling from Florida. Raises the question, how to get over a hurt? Well, you could you could phrase that as uh, how do you forgive from a hurt? When I married my, my wife uh, down here in the south, she is Pentecostal, and I was post-Vatican II Catholic, which meant I did what I did because I was told to and didn't know why. And I was enamored with the glamour and glitz, and um, her parents, who her father was a quote-unquote pastor, anointed by his mother, they shunned us because both of us, it was our second marriage, even though our spouses left us. And um, they shunned us for many years and did a lot of just evil, evil thing. I believe Blaise Pascal said, no greater evil is done than that from a religious perspective. And um, they did it to us. And then miraculously, they came into our lives many years later. And uh, her father has since died, and her mother's now onset dementia. And I keep telling myself I've forgiven, I've forgiven, but I, I can't let go of the bitterness which tells me i probably haven't forgiven and i i you know i say i forgive but i don't want to be around those people 
which does not work well with my wife at this time. And I'm wondering, how do you honestly let let go of something? I won't say forget because you need to learn from things. But how do you how do you deal with something like this? How can you truly forgive when you have somebody do something hurtful to you or wrong toward you or nasty toward you and you can't get over the bitterness one of the things that's keeping it alive is the idea they shouldn't have done that to me I didn't deserve that how dare they do that to me furthermore he's a hypocrite he calls himself Mr. Religious, and he's as <laughs> nasty as anybody I know. How do you get over that? You get over it, my friend, because you realize that people are capable of great sin, whether that's yeah. your wife's parents or not. You didn't get to pick your wife's parents. So part of the reason why you can't let it go when somebody does something nasty, nasty to you is because you think to yourself, I didn't deserve that. I t what? How dare they treat me that way? What do you mean, how dare they treat you that way? They did. Well, I don't deserve it. Uh, doesn't, that doesn't, that's irrelevant. A lot of people don't deserve being mistreated. <laughs> Matter of fact, most don't. So you see what I'm doing? You're, well, you're, hang, you're hanging on to that they never should have done that to me. Can I ask a question on that? Well, you already asked one. Now you're asking the second one. Well, uh, well, I'm I'm high maintenance. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't really care what they did to me. I got thick skin. I did five combat tours. Um, I say people were trying to kill me. I they ain't gonna hurt me with their words or actions. But when you screw, or sorry, I shouldn't have said that. When you mess with somebody, it's I military love, talk. Yeah, that's military talk. It's still yes, left over. Yes, sir. If you hurt somebody I love, I say. <laughs> Well, God help you, but it's what they did to my wife, and it was horrifically evil. I don't care about me. I'm like, I'm, I'm tough. I am, but you hurt my loved ones, my wife and my children. That's, you know, that's what I struggle with. I don't so much care about me. It's my wife. I saw Is what your she wife did over it? What they did to her. Is your wife over it? Um, they even her family says her parents caused her severe mental damage, and they did. They controlled her. She was their puppet for a long time. But I, I know it hurt her severely. But she, they controlled her, and they, I'm sorry, but in the Pentecostal world, they're almost raised to worship their parents. It's very terrifying. And she is, they, they dangle their acceptance as the carrot. Well, you do what we say, we love you. And I'm not joking either. And I see that, and I'm very protective of my wife. And I'm like... So my priest said, you know, play nice. And he goes, you don't have to socialize, but you need to forgive. And I, I know that, but... Well you, well, you got nothing I, to socialize here. The dad died, and the mom's in dementia. So there's really nothing to socialize. Well, I, I don't even want to go to the state she's in when my wife goes. <laughs> you Why not? If your wife <laughs> is going there, if your wife... See, th this is where I think your thinking falls apart a little bit. Yeah. You're saying, I can't believe they did that to my wife. And I said, well, did your wife forgive him? And then you said, well, no, people have said that, that there's been, there's been long-term damage to my wife. Wait a minute. 
she's gone to take care of her mother. So obviously, she's gotten over some of this. And then you're saying, yeah, yeah. well, she is, but I can't. Wait, okay. why, why not? This is a variant of I can forgive if somebody offends me. I can't forgive if they offend somebody I love because I can't control the person I love's reaction. In other words, if I can get over the hurt, that's under my control. If, in this case, his wife couldn't get over the hurt, it's not over his control. So, in other words, in a way, they're still offending. The reverberations are still there. If you look at it that way, then what you do is you you put conditions on the limits of your forgiveness. He made a good point. He said, I can't forget. Well, of course not. It's very it's very difficult to totally forget serious wrongdoing. That's hard to do. It's always there. The question becomes, what do you do with it? Now, the priest said, you, you more or less fake it. You, you be civil around them. Well, I don't know how long ago he was given that advice by the priest, but at this point, it's probably academic because, as he said, the dad is dead and the mom is in a state of dementia. I think... The core issue here is to recognize that people can repent. For whatever the reason, they came around. They were incredibly nasty for a while. I don't know how long. In the beginning. Then they came to recognize that the wife, the husband, were not bad people because they were Catholic and that perhaps they were even Christians who knows huh so they changed their conduct that is to be admired it's to be welcomed from what we know st. Paul attended the persecution of Christians so when he met for some time with St. Peter, because he said, I want to make sure that what I'm going to be talking about is what I should be talking about. So he went and he, he talked with the apostles. What if they would have said to him, forget you, given what you did, there's no way, there is no way we're going to allow you to be any part of this faith movement. But they didn't. Apparently, they recognized that he was truly repentant. And I would guess that St. Paul did a lot worse to people than our callers' in-laws did to them. Our callers' in-laws to them were just nasty, all right? They didn't kill them. Probably didn't even punch them. They were just nasty. I think one way to make it easier to forgive is to, if you can, to use our Lord's, our Lord's word, to rejoice that someone has turned from the way they treated you. That's huge. That is so big. That's like saying, God says he can forgive them, but I can't. Who am I to cling to that? 
God wipes it out. He wants repentance. And some of the worst sinners in the world, he forgives when they're repentant. Are we going to say, no, 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 that, that one was over the line. That one was just too big. I had a lady just recently, we're taping season 13. Her son was murdered at Franciscan University. This is, I think, about 10 years ago. Oh, shoot. I'll finish this story just on the other side. I'll close it up, and then we'll take another look back call. This is Dr. Ray. The EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for the caregivers of the sick. O Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore you. You have first loved us. And through your Son, you have taught us the excellence of self-giving love. Give to those who are caregivers of a sick parent or child, brother or sister, the assistance of your holy angels. Lessen their burdens and give them great joy in practicing a work of mercy. And since charity is never forgotten by you, reveal to them their heavenly reward. Amen. What is wrong with artificial birth control? The Catholic Catechism explains that it unnaturally breaks the bond between the two essential elements of the conjugal act, the unitive and the procreative. The unitive element is the mutual self-giving of the spouses to one another. The procreative element is the openness to the act's potential and natural end, life. The truth of marital love is falsified when we separate what God has decreed as inherent and inseparable to the marriage act. We don't unnaturally separate eating from its natural end, nourishment. When we wish to control our weight, we abstain from food. Thus, if for just reasons we wish to control birth during a fertile period, we should abstain from sexual relations. In an age of ecological awareness, church-approved natural family planning, which is both healthy and free, is cause for environmental applause. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Joining me, Dr. Ray Grandy, program doctor is in. Variant, look back Friday. I wanted to finish up the story that I was talking about. I had interviewed a mother. She's from the Columbus area. We did this taping a few months back for season 13 of Living Right with Dr. Ray. Her son, random robbery, Franciscan University student. Two guys broke in. 
took her son and um, if, I re if I recall correctly the, the roommate and killed them random they, they there was there was no there was no drug deal gone bad there was no reason for this it was it was purely just a kind of a robbery perhaps a gang related thing and the son wasn't in a gang obviously and the mother mother said i had to forgive i had to forgive i'm called to forgive and she used that as she said, as she explored the history of these two young men who did this, she was aghast at how bad their history was. And it gave her some understanding of how they could commit an act like this, seemingly without conscience. And she started a program, a very highly successful program, thousands of kids working with them to sidetrack them from the way that they're experiencing their upbringing. But she talked about forgiveness. Now think about this. I know you listening to me, and I know me too. Her 19-year-old son, wonderful young man, killed, random, senseless. But she said she immediately knew she had to forgive, that she had to. So I don't know. I think those young men who did this are still in prison, I would think. However, when somebody repents, we are definitely called to forgive. And our previous caller who said, you know, they did this to me. I can get over it, but they did it to my wife, and I'm not sure I can get over it. He's basically saying that I can't control my wife's reaction, so therefore she's still hurting. But then he said she's taking care of her mother, who sounds in a, pretty far along in her dementia. And the wife is taking care of her mother. So through her actions, she is saying, I forgive you. I don't know what her feelings are, but her actions are a much more powerful statement than any feelings she would still have. Oh, uh, gosh. All right. I know I'm going to bump up. I'm going to. Joshua from Missouri is talking about phobias, and I know I'm going to bump up against a hard break, but let's let's play the look back and then see what happens after the hard break. My question is regarding phobias and um, just kind of what is the psychology behind them? How do they come about? And as a personal anecdote, around ages 11 to 13, I remember pretty clearly, I developed a incredible fear of storms and severe weather, and it would cause me great panic attacks, and it was really a stress on my parents and family, and we didn't do much about it, and I eventually grew out of it, but I'm just curious how stuff like that can happen. A phobia is an irrational fear that is so extreme that it constricts the person's freedom. In your case, when the storms would come, would you hide somewhere? Would you be afraid to go to the window? How were you constricted? Yes, I would often hide. I'd go to the basement or I'd just close all the windows that I could and, and just be scared. <laughs> 
unless you were affected by some traumatic event, let's say that you were looking out the window and you saw a lightning bolt absolutely obliterate a tree, that'd be pretty traumatic, especially with the booming sound as the as the air was superheated and you heard this. But barring that, barring just the idea that you looked outside and you saw the wind and you saw the rain and it was it was kind of threatening what you probably did at age 11 is you told yourself this is dangerous this is really dangerous this can hurt me this this can hurt people i love this this could damage our house and this could spawn a tornado so you started thinking a lot of things like that did you not yes yeah and you convinced yourself, intellectually, cognitively, you convinced yourself that there was much, much more danger in a typical storm than there really is. Mm-hmm. So a phobia really needs uh, cognitive help other than, other than like a trauma, like somebody who's terrified of dogs because they've been bitten. All right, so that was a traumatic event. But short of that, just somebody who sees a big dog and this little six-year-old panics at the sight of this big dog. Because in their mind, they're thinking, danger, 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 got to avoid, got to avoid, got to avoid, danger, get out of here, got to avoid. So that's in large part how phobias develop. They need our cooperation. How did you get over your phobia? That's a good question. It, it kind of slowly faded out as I grew older. I remember around seventh grade, it was kind of fading out, uh, going away. But it was like vestiges of it um, at that point. I went over it usually spring or summer when it would get stormy. I'd get a little nervous, but then, I, I don't know, I guess it was maybe me growing older, realizing that it was irrational. But I remember early on, I just I was paralyzed, and I, I thought every storm was going to uh, cause damage or death or destruction. Joshua, I think you answered your own question. It probably wasn't so much that you got older. It was that you kept getting counter-information. In other words, as the storms came and went, and between the ages of 11 and 13, you probably saw quite a few of them, and you saw that none of the danger that you thought would happen would actually happen. So you ever so slowly rewired your thinking. When you were 11, you were convinced. This is terrible. This is awful. This is scary. When you were 13, you had seen 27 storms, none of which did anything that you thought. So ever so slowly, you realized that there was nothing to fear and you rewired yourself. And that's one of the best ways to cure a phobia, which is to realize what I'm afraid of is not as dangerous as I'm telling myself. That's tricky. That's really tricky because that heartbreak music was from the original call. Now, I'm looking at the clock right here, and that heartbreak music is starting again right now, only it is the present heartbreak music. So when we come back, more comments on phobias.
Christ, we suffer, but it's a suffering that can bear much fruit. Our God can bring good out of the suffering caused by evil. God permits evil, and from the suffering caused by evil, he creates a reality greater than that which could have existed without the possibility of evil entering human experience. In Christ, suffering is fruitful. Those members of the body of Christ who are fruitless are removed. It's dead wood, and that's suffering. But even those members of the body of Christ who are fruitful are pruned, they're trimmed, Daddy squeezes and sometimes spanks in order that we would be more fruitful. Jesus again says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler brother of Terry Schiavo. Can you imagine receiving a phone call from your child's roommate while they are away at college telling you that your son or daughter had an accident and has been admitted to the emergency room, but they don't know anything more? In a panic, you call around the hospitals asking about your child. However, instead of being helped, you are told they cannot share information with you because of HIPAA privacy. You are terrified, worried sick for your child. How do you prevent this situation from happening to you? A healthcare durable power of attorney. This legal document will appoint you as their health care agent, granting you the rights to all information in an emergency and to make medical decisions on their behalf. As soon as you're able to, you need your child to sign these documents in order to prevent the nightmarish situation we've just discussed. They must be signed, stored, and easy to access so that you can have them at your fingertips the moment disaster strikes. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Ray Grady here. Look back Friday. Just finished up a question from Joshua in Missouri. He recounted how when he was a child, he developed a fear of storms. Not unusual among kids. Storms and dogs are big. Sometimes of people. But Josh, as he got older, overcame that fear of storms. I made the observation that he essentially rewired his thinking. His fear of storms was one of initially fear of danger. Storms are big and powerful. They can hurt you. They can hurt the ones you love. They can blow your house off its foundation, etc. So as his little mind was reverberating, all of these fears, his body reacted. You're probably familiar with the sympathetic nervous system. In a generic, simple way, the sympathetic nervous system is the arousal system that gets the body ready. It orchestrates many of the things in our physiology that are required to defend ourselves. Fight, flight, and now they include something called freeze, which is many people are paralyzed with fear. You've heard this statement. Many fears are realistic. If someone is threatening you with a weapon or even with a very hostile demeanor, your body tells 
your brain tells your body, get ready. You're going to have to do something about this because you've got to survive without harm. Now, you can either run or you can fight back. Or hopefully you don't just curl up because then you're helpless. But nevertheless, the brain is the smart one. The body is dumb. The body does what the brain tells it. If the brain says this is danger, then the body gets ready to do what it has to do. And that is typically descriptive of a phobia. It's a physiological reaction, anxiety, or fear. What can happen, however, is that the brain can convince the body that there is danger when there is no danger. Many people will not get up in front of a crowd and speak. They won't be a lector at church because that's too, they, they, forget it. To get up there, they would be so afraid. They'd be so anxious. And then they'd be anxious about appearing anxious. So it would just be a big feedback loop. There's no danger in speaking in front of a crowd. The only danger is in the person's head. I mean, obviously you could make a case that, okay, there's a one in a bazillion chance that somebody out there could be a sniper, but most people go through life in crowds without that reality. Almost all. So whatever it is that people don't want to speak in front of a crowd, it's brain created. It's not reality created. It's brain created. But interestingly enough, it's it's pretty close to the same reaction if it were reality created. In other words, if that crowd were hostile and threatening to rush the podium, well, that's a real danger. But if the crowd were just disinterested or noticing that you appeared anxious, which made you even more anxious, you'd have a similar reaction. Maybe it wouldn't be quite as intense. I don't know. But I do know that for many people, phobias are unendurable. They have to get out of that situation or they have to avoid that situation. That's it. And no matter how much it constricts their existence, I can't go to restaurants. I can't merge on an interstate. I can't go anywhere there's a big crowd. I can't leave home. I can't make a left turn. Whatever it is, and there's no limit to the creativity that the brain can convince the body that there's danger. No limit. The person would much rather not experience that sense of dread, that sense of anxiety, that that sense of terror, rather than surrendering some large aspect of their life. Can't go to my son's graduation because it's a big crowd at a gymnasium. Now, fortunately, it's not all that common, but it is happening. I had I had a client once who couldn't leave her house. She could only come to therapy if her husband accompanied her. And then it was kind of an anxious sort of scenario for her. But without him accompanying her, she was housebound. That's it. Now, in the case of Joshua, he developed this fear very young. 
which there seems to be some indication that some people are wired more fearful than others. They're more physiologically reactive. I had a client many years ago in the mental health center who came in with multiple phobias, all all kinds of things made her anxious, anxious to the point of she had to avoid them. She described her childhood. This was a kid who had multiple school phobias. She, she resisted school. I think second grade she didn't go for a large period of time because she was just so shook up about going to second grade. She was wired that way. If you saw her, there was kind of a generalized anxiety to her appearance. So she was wired that way. So it would be harder for her to overcome that. I've never really been nervous about speaking in front of a crowd. I, mean, I wasn't nervous when I first began this radio program. Is that because I'm so well-wrapped? No, probably not. Probably just because there's that aspect of me that, that doesn't have that reactivity in my body. My brain can tell my body, hey, you know, uh, you could uh, do a bad job. You could stink at this radio gig. You know that, don't you? You could go down in flames, don't you? Now, I knew that. I entertained that thought, but it was not enough to make me so anxious that I said, well, therefore, I'm not even going to try to do something like that. Now, one of my own personal defenses against anxiety is as I get older, I don't care. Get off my lawn. Yes, as I get older, I realize that so much that I concerned myself with that made myself anxious about was futile it was useless it was going to pass it wasn't worth it i used to get so nervous before softball games just so nervous we had a big game that night the whole day i was on edge thinking okay we got to play i hope we win i hope we win and now that i look back on it and back then all the guys i play with now weren't even born yet (laughs) so you learn a little bit as you get older A phobia is a mind-created fear. The body reacts as it would if there were real fear. If the mind created it, the mind can uncreate it. The mind can realize with evidence that all of the fearful things that the mind said were going to happen didn't happen and as that was repeated little by little the body reacted less hence the phobia went away i fear i have to take a break is social media leading to more young women getting cosmetic surgery i'm chuck gatica and this is journey strong Our daughter and family just welcomed a new baby girl into the world. The boys in our family are now outnumbered for sure. I've witnessed how some of our girls often struggle with self-image and body issues. These issues are now being enhanced by social media. First Peter teaches us that it is not outward beauty that is important, but it should be that of our inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Studies indicate that young women are going under the knife for more cosmetic procedures in direct response to social media. Encourage the women in your life to practice self-compassion. Build them up. 
Help them find ways to be content in their own skin. True self-esteem is having confidence that I am who God says I am. For more on this, head over to our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Parents in a town just 45 minutes outside of Dublin have banned together to enforce a smartphone ban for their children in elementary school. It was just the striking results of the rising anxiety, depression, and everything we noticed of having a mobile phone, especially among young children. And according to this article, the results have been extremely positive in terms of less anxiety among the children, closer bonds being formed with the families, more time spent together outside with kids playing and actually reading. I mean, this is such common sense. All too often, I think it's it's hard for parents and grandparents to resist, right? Well, mom and dad, everybody has one. It's really incredible, this simple effort of parents coming together and saying, you know what, we need to do something. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. I am looking at the clock because the clock is the ruler of this program, even more so than I am, even more so than Andrew Kruchek is. Not more so than my bosses at Ave and EWTN, but the clock rules. And I'm doing some quick math here, and I don't really have time to take on a call, an original call, and then comment on it especially since I just wasted one minute talking about how I didn't have time to do that, which Andrew always points out to me. You would have had time if you wouldn't have talked about how you don't have time. So given that, we talk a little bit more about anxiety. Anxiety is the number one, I mean, it's right up there with depression, presenting symptom of many who come to a therapist. Takes many forms. For many people, it's kind of a generalized uneasiness about life. Many circumstances, people even, make them ill at ease, uncomfortable, low level stressed. And they don't like it. So they are inclined to avoid it. It's not so intense. It's not as intense maybe as a, a full-blown phobia or a panic attack. It's not so intense that they're going to avoid those situations or those particular people. It's just a, a discomfort. It's something that doesn't allow them to enjoy in a peaceful mindset of a circumstance. Now, why is this? Much of the time, you have to get at what they're telling themselves about these situations. There is an awful lot of self-worry about what I look like. And I don't mean that physically. I mean, people are going to see that I'm ill at ease. Or they may have opinions about me. They might think something I say is dumb. Or they might look at me and judge the way I'm dressed. Shoot, if I worried about that one, I wouldn't go around anybody. My wife says, Ray, Ray, 
She came to lunch with me one time and she said, you had clients this morning? I go, yeah. She goes, did any of them tell you your shirt's on inside out? I go, oh, I didn't notice that. Wow. And then another time I had clients and I put my feet up on the desk and the client said, uh, you know, your shoes are different colors. And I looked and I said, wow, I got a pair just like that at home. So for whatever the reason, there is a personal feedback that someone creates in their head. And so they avoid social situations. For example, let's say that they know their mother-in-law doesn't like them. And there's a family gathering. And the idea that mother-in-law is going to be there, and who knows what mother-in-law is going to be thinking, who knows what mother-in-law could say, who knows whether mother-in-law will be cold, who knows what kind of reception mother-in-law is going to give her. So because of that, because of that uncertainty, she's anxious, she's going to avoid it. But if she believed that, so what? I don't have to have my mother-in-law's approval. My husband is on my side. He knows his mother's difficult. This is not a matter of he's blaming me somehow for the way his mother is. No, no, no. He's he's fully in my corner. But still, she bugs me. She gets to me. Well, if you can get to the point where she doesn't get to you, you won't have the same level of anxiety around her. And then when you don't have the same level of anxiety around her, you can go where she is if it's a family gathering or it's Christmas Eve dinner. You could do this. But it's the anxiety of what she's thinking. What kind of comment is she going to make? She's going to whisper behind my back. You create in your head anxiety-producing scenarios, and you give them the power to disturb you. In and of themselves, they don't have to disturb you. There are many people who have much more difficult relatives than you have, and they're not anywhere near as bugged about those relatives as you are. Now, why is that? Well, you might say, Dr. Ram, why are different? Okay, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. It could be part of it. But the other part of it is that you're stressing yourself out over their opinions, their reactions, their views, whatever it is. One of the great things I'm just, I like so much growing older because of this i am less and less distressed about what other people think of me that's why i can wear my shirt inside out wow look kind of cool with those white thread stitchings you know showing up i just thought it was cool i just thought it was kind of a new way to have a shirt i just thought my wife bought me something that's cutting edge style the only thing i had to worry about is what they think is true or not. That's that's the thing I have to wrestle with. Other than that, they're going to have all kinds of opinions, and I don't want those opinions to create anxiety for me. I want to be at peace, successful of life. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it so very much, and I am not anxious about being with you. Walk with God. That'll give you For peace. information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.